0: Hello and welcome to the Who's in Charge podcast, seeking out a Canadian leadership style by diving into difficult moments. I'm your host, Conway Huey. Remember to visit the podcast website at conwayhuey.ca for other episodes. For this episode, I headed out to bustling Langley, British Columbia to meet my guest and longtime acquaintance, Rob Wishnicki. Rob is a retired captain in the Canadian Army, and prior to commissioning was also a brigade sergeant major and also regimental sergeant major, not at the same time of course. So those are the most senior non-commissioned member positions in the brigade and at a unit. So in that brigade it was basically the entire province of British Columbia. So think of him as the most senior supervisor of tradespeople in the entire province of British Columbia for the army so his career spans over five decades he started in the 80s and he just retired in the 2020s and he's been overseas representing Canada all the time while having a civilian career so I set out to tap into his extensive time in these sort of situations where the stakes were really high now, this was one of my early interviews as a podcaster, so there's unfortunately some plumbing noise you'll hear in the background at one point. I hope it's not too disruptive. In addition, there's a lot of jargon that I don't stop and explain, but which I'll try to cover in the show notes. For one thing, uh, you'll hear us talk about aiming posts, which are literally painted stakes that are put in the ground. So. I do ask him to start off with a story with high stakes, you know, get it? Anyways, here's my chat with Rob. Where were the stakes the biggest? Where were What was like the consequences of things not going right the biggest?
1: Well, one was a lesson learned for me as an NCO that I, as a debt commander.
0: Yeah, why don't we start there?
1: All right. So in uh, 1994... Uh, I was deployed to 3PPCLI in Dundurn uh, on, uh, to go on um, Op Harmony to Yugoslavia for peacekeeping. Uh, I competed with a bunch of uh, sergeants in LFWA, which is now known as 3 Division, and uh, I, uh, there was one position for a sergeant in 1RCHA, and after two months of getting put through all the paces through 3PPCLI, uh, I got selected out of 12 sergeants to go to 1RCHA. Uh, it was a big curve for me because I was only, I was the only class C, uh, reserve sergeant in all of 1RCHA for that year. Uh, we had to do our, uh, lead up training and as a number one, I was with a bunch of, uh, people from 1RCHA, uh, who had a lot more experience in the field than I did as a number one. Uh, and although I was very good at what I did and I was a young, eager sergeant, uh, I found that there were things that they did that were obviously, they had uh, learned a lot more by having a lot more field expertise than I did, specifically as a number one. When you're sending out in the middle of an exercise and you're trying to improvise and make things work and you think you're a pretty good number one, one of the things that I was challenged by, and I, I really applauded 1RCHA and the and the uh, IGs because they pretty much wanted to see what I was capable of, mm-hmm. uh, but they also wanted to with, uh, keeping in mind, they wanted to see what I was capable of while also observing to see what skills a reserve has brought to the table. Uh, when I was doing a recording, a center of art for my gun in the middle of the night, I had the initiative to throw out my, uh, kilometer left front, which normally that's what we do in the artillery, yeah. but I threw out my aiming posts in the, um, right rear and normally you mm-hmm. go left rear. Didn't think anything about it. At nighttime, it was a perfect plan. It's like a distant gap. Threw it out in the middle of the night. Everything was great. Yeah. And then in the morning, when we went to record center of arc, the BSM came up and came up onto my position. And he said, "Sarge, I'm very curious why you put your posts out in right rear." I said, "Well, sir," I says, uh, "It was quick. It was the prominent area. It seemed to work for me." And he says, "What did you learn?" I says, uh, "So I turned and looked to my right rear." Little did I know, but in the middle of the night, they moved the entire echelon and divided my GAPs. Okay. So I lost out on that site. So I learned a valuable lesson that day, and I learned as much as as a leader that I'm very good at what I do and as keen as I am, there's always that learning curve that you can always do better and you can always learn. And to the day that I retired, uh, even in the last couple months, you learn things. I think the learning uh, the thing I tell soldiers, even nowadays, when I talk to soldiers that contact me, uh, I tell them always be willing to accept your mistakes, always understand yeah. you're constantly learning. And it doesn't matter what rank you are. That's at the senior general flag officers. We always learn things. Right, right. Anybody that says that they know it all, they're lying to you or they're dangerous.
0: So that, that was. Which training area was that in? That was in
1: CFB Shiloh okay. in the training there. Okay,
0: but you were preparing to go to, to, Yugoslavia, to Yugoslavia
1: and uh, we were training uh, as infantry.
0: Okay, so you had put your aiming posts out right rear? Right
1: rear and normally you go left rear mm-hmm. or left front.
0: So why why did you do that? Why
1: because in the when I looked at uh, the ground and the terrain based on the other guns, um, it just seemed to make perfect sense because it was wide open and I think there was something that was uh, obstructing me on the left rear which is why I went right rear. Okay. But in hindsight there's nothing saying that I couldn't have used uh, uh, the same quadrant if I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, But I didn't and I went right rear in the middle of the night and in the morning you could totally see uh, when that uh, trucks the light had came on, in. trucks were everywhere, and yep. I'm like, "I'll never do that again." And yeah, and the BSM came up, and he didn't jack me up. He basically looked at me and he says, "Sarge, did you learn something here today?" I said, "Yes, sir." I says, "I'll never do that again." He says, "Well, that's good. That's why we're here to learn."
0: So what what, what did you learn? What was the lesson?
1: That there's a there's a reason why we do things, and there's a reason why we don't do things. Mm-hmm. And uh, although you think you can make it work, sometimes you can't. Uh, and there's obviously people that have done it before you that uh, without them explaining it to you, right. I got to see the uh, actual yeah. effects of it.
0: So you were the deck commander. You said, okay, I'm making a call. Making a call. I was the only one there at the right, time. Yeah. Left rear doesn't seem to work for me. I'm just going to go right rear right because rear. you know it's my call. I'm doing it. Yeah. And this and, is the first
1: time I've shared this with anybody.
0: Yeah. And you learn that there's a reason why we go left rear yeah. because everybody else had gone left rear Correct. and the echelon would know where the guns are and say, well, everybody's aiming well, post rear. should be left rear. And they put, we could the right. park right here, yeah. and except I didn't that you it. had put your aiming. And post. And in right the middle there. of the
1: night, I didn't see any lights or any vehicles. Yeah. Like they yeah. came in totally dark. Yeah. So all I saw was aiming posts, but yeah. in the morning,
0: no aiming my, post. my
1: far aiming post was gone, I, yeah. there was a truck right in front of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And had there been. Shooting in first thing in the morning, yeah, I'd have had a problem. You would have, I'd have been problem. out of
1: action and had to re record.
0: You, you well, you, I could have used GAP have a one, yeah,
1: but still, if that one went down, I'd have been,
0: yeah, you, you didn't have a backup, correct? I
1: didn't have yeah. my GAP two,
0: yeah, and you would have been down, yeah,
1: that wouldn't be good.
0: And you no, because <laughs> how many other guns were there?
1: Uh, we were Five, well, three, three, three we had three full batteries, three full batteries, yeah, we so had what? the whole regiment. Yeah. So the whole regiment it's was out, four. and yeah, we had eighteen M, guns. We had an M109, we had six uh, M109s, we had six LG ones, and oh. I had the C ones. I had the, I had one of the six C ones. Six
0: C ones. So there's 18 guns, eighteen guns out in the yeah. field, and I was the only reserve and, sergeant out yeah, of the whole regiment. the only reserve sergeant. At Seventeen the time. people worth the guns on, with their eyes on you. Yeah, and your aiming posts were right, in right. the middle of a bunch of vehicles, and you couldn't see them. Nope.
1: So here's a here's a good here's I'd like to go to another example and this sure. was in Afghanistan yeah so I was on t- task force 213 and that was the second last roto to Afghanistan and I was a captain and I was the deputy commander uh, advisor for the chief of staff um, of the ANA so, uh, and my boss happened to be the former CEO of 1RCHA and mm-hmm. as small world as it is when I was that sergeant uh, back in 94 in 1RCHA, this colonel that I worked for in Afghanistan was my battery commander. Okay. So he remembered me, and it's, it's amazing how 20 years later we married up when I was his deputy commander. So anyway, uh, the roto we did a rip with was 5 Division, which mm. is the French uh, brigade, yep. and they were leaving. Okay. And when we did a rip over there, we had C-7s, and they were over there, and there was only a certain amount of uh, firearms available. Well, they had the new C8s with the EOTech sites and everything on it. Well, they were deploying out and coming back home. We did the handover, our leadership to leadership. And as they were leaving, I was hearing uh, through my channels, because I was a captain, uh, through the uh, logistics branch that they were packing up all their gear and that they had brought over mm. and they were going back. And a lot of that was some of the newer firearms. And I was thinking to myself, we have to requalify every uh, month when we're overseas, uh, and every second month we have to go live yeah. to maintain our standards because Afghanistan's a, a high theater of op. I found out the C 8s were being packed up, so I posed the question to uh, a captain that was in the logistics branch in another FOB uh, in Camp Julian in Kabul. And said, uh, why are you packing up that stuff? Why aren't you mm-hmm. at least offering it to the guys that are and the lady and the women that are yeah. staying yeah so we can have the latest current operational equipment like what would be the issue? Well I didn't know just by asking the question that the following morning in my office when I'm having my coffee before I'm about to head out on patrol with my boss who's sitting directly across from me, he had his computer, I had my computer. And I get an email, and it suddenly it's from a full colonel in the logistics branch telling me, Captain Wishnicki, I don't know who you are, and you don't know who I am, but you need to stay in your lane. And oh, wow. uh, basically tore yeah. a strip off me in an email. Yeah. And I went, uh oh. And my boss, who was sitting right across from the table from me, was equivalent rank to this full colonel. Yeah. And he said, "What's wrong, Rob?" And I said, "I told him, sir, I'm just in case something comes, you know, I got to let you know." uh if there's a phone call or something he says what happened and i told him what i did and he said send me that email rob and i said sir he said send me the email so you sent it to him the senior ranking general dean milner was our commanding canadian general mm-hmm. in afghanistan anyway i didn't know anything he says don't worry about it rob you've told me carry on so i carried out on my patrol and uh, i came back and a couple of days later no, it was it was later in the afternoon. Came back from the patrol. We did our debrief, and I came. He says, "Come here. I want to show you something, Rob." So I went to his office, and I looked at an email, and uh, Colonel Mazidis basically showed me the email that General Milner had sent to him, who uh, he had basically sent an email to that Colonel that sent yeah. me the email, yeah. and he said, Captain uh, Mushnicki is actually absolutely correct. <laughs> Why?" Are we deploying equipment for soldiers that are staying in theater when this equipment is newer and people are risking their lives over here? Was there any thought given to this logistical plan before we decided to just arbitrarily send it? Uh, So then I looked at Colonel Mazidis. I says, I'm not going to get in trouble over this. And he said, no. He says, Rob, (laughs) you were spot on. It was your delivery that was off. What you should have done is brought the idea to me. And then I would have rose it. Yeah. So that was a learning curve for me. Yeah. In theater.
0: I, I mean I mean I, I almost think I would have done the same thing, right? Try to solve the problem at a lower level.
1: Well that's the way we are. And you know, major. you and, and and everybody knew that I was a former brigade sergeant major, but I didn't exercise that. I was just a captain trying yeah. to work with other captains. Yeah. And yeah. suddenly I was getting slapped the next day and I mean, they had faith in me because my boss ended up going back to Ottawa and left me in charge for like three weeks. He was on leave and General Milner and the other colonels, the full colonels, American and Canadian, they were coming up to me and saying, you're in charge of this branch. When you go Hmm. out every day, if you have any problems with anybody that outranks you, bring it to us and we'll deal with it. And uh, there was only one problem I had at one time. It was an American uh, uh, colonel. That was trying to speak for his uh, two-star uh, American general about a KLE, a key leader engagement, uh, and said, "You have to arrange for the Afghan chief of staff, my uh, the guy that I was advising, he was a lieutenant general, uh, to show up for this uh, meeting, this KLE, key leader engagement." Mm-hmm. And I said, "It was kind of I said, I said it's a it's a religious day, and if he doesn't want to show up, he's not going to show up. It doesn't matter what you decide, how much money you throw you have to understand where that is on their priorities and uh, the colonel was like captain you need to understand your job so i was just like (laughs) now i'm feeling kind of i i sense the rank and that but i'm not going to go over and i'm not going to insult an afghan general who i've now developed a rapport with over the last three of my six month deployment that my boss has left me in charge with um so then sure enough i went to one of the canadian colonels that was in the next office who was working in another branch very smart man, Stephen Boucher, he was uh, a former CEO of 5RALC. Mm-hmm. And he went over and he said, hey, Rob, what's up? And I told him, and he said, what's the colonel's name? He said, don't worry about it. So he called him and tore a strip off him. He says, "Cap Mushnick, he told you. Yeah. He says, that's the way it is. And he says, tell your general that he'll have to wait. And uh, when, I got back, when my colonel got back from Ottawa, he says, I heard about the little hiccup. I says, yeah, the colonel handled it. He says, no. He says, "I'm proud of you. You stood your guns." Yeah. He says, "If you'd have gone and insulted that Afghan general, yeah. we'd have lost our our rapport, and that could have had knock on effects to us further on in the mission."
0: Yeah, it it sounds like you you exercised your judgment in that case, right? Because you knew you were on the ground, yeah, and you had a good relationship there that they would do that for you, right?
1: Before I got to Afghanistan, my job uh, when uh, Colonel McKenzie, at the time the, our brigade commander, sent me there, I was supposed to, my initial job was to, supposed to be um, an advisor and training for the uh, Afghan National Police, the emergency response team, because mm-hmm. I teach firearms yeah. and local defense yeah. or, and uh, self defense. Uh, when we did the lead up training with 2VP in Shiloh uh, in 2013, They told us it's an ever-evolving situation. Everything is fluid. So a position you're training for could change by the time you get over. It's all based on the operational Mm -hmm. commander over there and what they identify they need. So a position that you're training for could be phased out and a new one generated, or they could complement one and build one. That's exactly what happened. So I went over, and the moment I landed in the middle of the night uh, with my chalk, with the leadership, uh, I got on the ground, and in the middle of the night, this full Colonel Canadian... pulled me aside and said, where's Cap Mushnicky? I said, here, sir. He says, grab your gear, follow me. He threw my stuff there. He said, Mm -hmm. see me in the morning at the DFAC 0700. I said, what's a DFAC? That's a dining (laughs) facility, American term. I know you'll get into the American. So I I had to learn all this stuff fast uh, through a fire hose. And I get there and he says, okay, you are the deputy advisor to dogs. I says, what's dogs? Hmm. He says, it's an acronym for Director of General Staff, also known as chief of staff for the ANA. I says, how big is the ANA? He says, currently at about 193,000. I said, and I'm the deputy advisor? (laughs) He says, let me, I says, can I ask a question currently? He's like, yeah. I says, why did I get this job? This wasn't what I was training for. He says, no. He says, because you were slated for the job you had and about three weeks before you arrived, we got confirmation on the person that was taking this job And it was a newly promoted Air Force regular force captain from Ottawa that doesn't know anything Mm. about a cub, a bub, uh, formation level advisors working with generals. Mm. And then we found out your former commander, uh, Gagne, had just arrived a month before you and said, well, you've got a former brigade sergeant major that just commissioned a captain and he's well-versed in dealing with national and divisional matters. So they basically switched us. And he said, so it's a natural fit for you. So I would go to Cubs and the general would sit beside me and I'd basically just take notes and wouldn't say anything at his Cub.
0: But going back to how you got there, it, it sounds like your reputation basically preceded you. What I'm wondering is what was your reputation? And, and how, did you, how did you get that?
1: One thing I will say is uh, I was asked by a senior ranking colonel one time a full kernel that said I don't understand how it is that you have such a rapport with all the chief or at the time there was 14 of them how is it that you can maintain such I said sir it's very simple I said our job is not to compete with one another our job is simply to do our job to make things work based on your plan or your intent our job is to basically run it as effectively as we can and if we can't we need to explain why and, and with possible solutions mm-hmm. and then leave it you're the one that decides that. I said but here's the big thing. I said senior officers all move up. I said I'm appointed, you're promoted. There's a difference. Yeah. When I'm done as brigade sergeant major, I can commission a captain or I can retire. That's about it. But I'm not competing with anybody. I said all of these RSMs, we are going to be lifelong friends long after we're done. And I said, make no mistake, every RSM I know in this brigade, long after I'm going to be friends with them. I left in 2013. I've still got RSMs that keep in touch with me. Yeah. They always ask me how yeah. I'm doing, and that we get together all the time. And so, so that,
0: it's building that network. It's building.
1: It's right. it's. You're right. It's building over and, all those years. You, trust.
0: I mean, those that RSM network. You didn't just build it when you were RSM. No, no. Right. That they, was decades and decades of yeah. knowing these people and trusting and, me at every NCA, at yeah. every rank level. Yeah. 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 So I think the, there's a lesson there, and it, it's. You know, have good relationships, with everybody, treat everybody fairly, it and, benefited and it'll pay off in the long run.
1: It benefited the unit. It benefited the brigade. I remember a, a RSM for 18 Air Defense, now known as 20th Independent in Lethbridge. He was the MWO, and he came over to the dinner at our regiment when I was the RSM, and he couldn't believe the rapport that I had. I had 12 of the 14 RSMs at our mess dinner. It's never been in the brigade. Yeah. And I had the brigade yeah. sergeant major. So it was massive. We had 92 at the Warnoff Sergeant's Messenger. It was the biggest ever. And uh, he showed up and he says, he's from Alberta. He says, I don't even know the first name of my fellow RSMs in 41 CBG. I love coming to 39. Mm-hmm. He says, all the RSMs are calling me by my first name. I wish we could extend the border into Lethbridge yeah. for BC. Yeah. He says, I can see why you guys are so connected here. Interesting. But I, yeah. I,
0: I like to tie stuff back to... Uh, To principles of leadership, Mm. and I think the the one for that is um, is treat people fairly. Yeah, right, absolutely. And and you did that, and built this network of peers that built this reputation that then carried on into colonel ranks and general ranks, and found you um, selected basically for a particular position without me even
1: saying word of it or knowing of it. I got on the yeah. ground, and they basically said, you're it. yeah. And I was just like, okay. So uh, it was good. And everybody, and, and when I was there, I got a commendation when I was in Afghanistan by the general. So I must have been doing something right. He, he, said, he says, you were, it was great to have a captain here that wasn't afraid to speak his mind, because when you spoke your mind, you made sense.
0: You were talking the other day about CMTC. Uh, CMTC. Yeah, and this and is it. That was pre-deployment.
1: So yeah, so for uh, in the United States, they have three at the time. I don't know if they have more. Uh, when the, uh, the United States went into Iraq, they had major training centers, and I didn't know anything about it until I did lead-up training for Afghanistan. Uh, actually, I knew about it when I was brigade sergeant major because we went to it for a visit. So the battle groups, when they identified them in Canada to go to Afghanistan, they would send if one RCR was the lead or two PPCLI was the lead, that battle group would go through a training cycle and they would have to take their entire group and they would deploy to the Canadian Military Training Center in CFB Wainwright. And that facility at the time in 2007-2008 was built at a cost of $500 million in Canada. I remember very specifically the details because I was the Brigade Sergeant Major for 39 and I was very curious about this. So we went to the command cell, we got to meet a lot of the people that are running it and uh, the commander got to sit in the command cell and got to see all his soldiers on the ground and they had uh, all their gear on uh, and they could actually see when their soldiers were getting taken out and Mm -hmm. how his forces were moving and how to redeploy them be if it was infantry heavy or armored heavy and with the supporting arms in in the rear. Uh, But it was very interesting. So when it was my turn to go to Afghanistan in 2013, we got to go up there and got to see uh, the training and we did a lot of it for Shiloh as well and uh, what they would do is they would set up a training area and the whole concept of CMTC was to set you up to fail. In other words, Mm -hmm. They would send your battle group into a training area and you would go in there for a solid week so seven days yeah you would go in there with your entire battle group now normally traditionally when we do training uh we would used to do, we used to do arty training and they would uh, assess all arty units in western canada they would call it Shellburst valley for some of us old timers and they would hold us to one standard and they would put us all through the same criteria with observer controllers Afterwards, doing an after-action and a hot wash and a lessons learned. Uh, The British, they like to do lessons learned, but theirs is they will actually redo it until it's done right. At the Mm -hmm. time, we would just talk about what we did wrong and say, okay, now you got it. Technically, that's not a lesson learned until you've reapplied it, and the British taught us that. Um, So CMTC was designed to put us through our paces, and it wasn't... For us to necessarily win the fight. It was for us to fail, but do everything we possibly could. And at the end of it, you would come out of it looking in the rearview mirror, going, Boy, did I have a brutal week. Boy, I hated mm-hmm. this. This was terrible. But I did everything possible. But at the end of it, I feel like I learned so much from yeah. it. Yeah. So what it does is it broadens your horizons and understanding to open your mind up to other perspectives that you can apply in a theater of operations and one specific example that worked for me because we were on a patrol and we came up to an uh, afghan checkpoint and this is i was still
0: in cmtc this
1: is yeah and yeah. we were coming okay. up to the checkpoint on a patrol so we're all there and we're coming up to the checkpoint and all of a sudden this uh there's a couple guys there with rifles and we're like okay and we dismount out of our vehicle and we have clearance were, to go through. Were those like actors or were yeah, they just? Yeah, okay. so, and all of the, the uh, actors were Afghan, former Canadian yeah. Afghan veterans. Yeah. So these were actual operations that happened. And even if you had spoken to the group that had gone through before you, mm-hmm. it wouldn't matter because when they tell you what happened, if they were to cheat by any measure, and you were going to say, oh, okay, I'm, I know exactly what I'm going to yeah. do. The enemy would adapt too, so it would change for you. It's not the same mm-hmm. criteria, mm-hmm. so you're coming in thinking you're going to get this, and yeah. it's totally different.
0: Just like real life.
1: So it's like it's like wow, this is real training. And uh, the reason they put you through this training is because they're trying to give you a, a perspective as close to reality as they can yeah. situate before you deploy to Afghanistan. And we were all it's yeah. the unknown. Nobody knew what we were going into. Okay,
0: so, so you're, you're coming up to this checkpoint. Come to
1: the checkpoint. We dismount. And we're all relaxed, and we've got our body armor on and fighting order and everything, helmet, full gear, battle rattle, and we've got our uh, C7 slung, and we've got our pistols on and everything, so we've got about 60, 70 pounds in gear. And we're coming up, and uh, we say we want to go through the checkpoint, and they're denying us the checkpoint. And I'm like, okay, well, um, we're part of NATO. We're allowed to travel through this road, and these guys are like, no, you're not coming through. Now they look, they're like, yeah. And we show them our NATO ID. They said, yeah, we don't care. You're not coming through. And so we're like thinking, okay. we're looking at each other. We're like, well, we've got to go through. We've got a timing we got to make. There's, yeah. We can't turn around. Uh, and we called up higher, and they said, no, you you got to go through. So we're between a rock and a hard place. Wow. So I'm like, okay, so we got to go through. And... Never been through this before and I've been peacekeeping before, but I've never had to... Yeah. So I said to Buddy, I said, Okay, so I, I went up, I said, Is there any way that we can possibly like work through this? And he's like he's like I don't know. He's like, No. I was like, Well, I said... and they're not giving any they're not throwing me a bone or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Okay. Yeah, well, it's just no, no, you're I, not getting through. Yeah, it. well i you answer. know, I've I, and I said so. I'm like, okay, well
0: And sir, were you were you the patrol leader?
1: I was the patrol leader oh, wow. and my two IC was a captain, regular force mm-hmm. captain. And was he this was, winter or summer? This was summer. And in, he had in, his gun fighting in right. Wainwright. It's yeah, And Wainwright. and I said, I said, you got you got him? And he's like, Yeah, he's just I could see he was he had his hands on his on his rifle like we yeah. all do, just yeah. in the relaxed position. Yeah. I says, I'm gonna and they weren't leaning on the gate or anything, but as I went towards the gate, I could see the Afghans start to posture change. Oh yeah as a a, in a guarded thing and i'm like okay and i'm like back and i'm looking at it like like what do we got to do here like i said like are we going to cause an incident like Mm -hmm. they're not they're they're afghan soldiers but they're not you know they're not like nato soldiers but i have to also factor in the possibility that i'm going to have canadian soldiers injured here yeah so i had to make a judgment call so i'm like okay so i looked at the other two that were with me i said have you got have you got them covered they're like yeah so they did and we uh we breached, and there was a gunfight.
0: Okay, so you, you went back to the vehicle? No, no. No, you were still dismounted. I, I wasn't
1: going to back at that point because I'd already asked higher okay, and so said. You,
0: so you're up at the checkpoint. Yeah. Everybody else is back with the vehicles. No, no. no you're they're, all, they're,
1: we were all up there. Oh, you are all dismounted. We were all up there were there. Was, the Walked driver was back with the vehicle. Okay, okay. But then, but then uh, so then what they did is they, uh, they put us in after that conflict. They, they yeah. shut her down. Yeah. And then... Uh, but wait, the,
0: let's, let's go back to that decision, though. Yeah. Because you had to make the call to say, We're gonna shoot our way through this.
1: Right? Well, not shoot our way, no. But you're gonna you <laughs> have you have a firearm that if they're gonna fire on me, mm-hmm. we had clearance, it's not like peacekeeping. If they're gonna draw their firearm and, and point at me, yeah, it would have to come from them, not us. Yeah. They would have to shoot on us and then we would respond in in thing. Okay. So they, they drew their firearm up towards me. Yeah. And that's when
0: So you walked up
1: to, to the, push to the, the barrier to open it yeah and they they they, drew, that's when they drew and their firearm by shot and then all of a sudden uh and they said okay so they pulled us back and uh, not them specifically but the observer controller and then uh it was interesting they brought us under a canopy mm-hmm. and they said okay mm-hmm. so what did we learn here i said well i'm kind of at a loss right now because i'm kind of in a bind my hire saying i've got a time thing mm-hmm. i gotta go mm-hmm. these guys aren't throwing me anything. Um, i've got to get through this road um and i'm looking and my the other three that are with me i got two other captains and a driver and i'm like you guys got anything and they were like no and this captain this air force captain he had a lot of time in. he was a guy that was a warrant officer that commissioned too yeah and we were all like well what are we what are we missing here and then he says think about what you got and then i realized i thought I started thinking like a sergeant major i Mm -hmm. stopped thinking like a captain yeah they always told me when i commissioned think like a captain well i actually brought some skill sets to the table that i didn't realize i used to grease the wheels a lot as a sergeant major and i realized one thing i didn't that i had that i could have bartered with Mm -hmm. was i had rations yeah i had gasoline yeah i had things i could use that were not weapons yeah so i said they said well go back and try something tell me what you're gonna do or don't tell me what you're gonna do show me what you're gonna do so they said okay go up and try it so the these guys that were the controllers weren't there they were still at the fence yeah so I went up
0: so they reset the scenario they reset the scenario okay. and
1: I went up same thing and I said yeah and they said yeah you're not coming through and uh, I, I went back to the radio and the, the c- controller says no higher still telling you you got to go through and you got a timing to meet captain so you're gonna meet that timing but you're not doing the approach you did before. I said, okay. So I said to the driver, I said, how much, how many rations we got? And he says, we got a case. I said, give me the case. So this guy had two guys and a friend, uh, third guy there at that, their hut. So I, I said, food, I said, IMPs you like? I said, if I give you the case, can we go through? And uh, they nodded, yeah. And that got me through. So what I learned from that was force doesn't always need to be utilized but mm-hmm. at the same time as easy as that said there are logistical things that I can provide that are not weapons or ammunition yeah. that can be construed or come back on nato rations there's no harm it's, whatsoever yeah, it's consumable right and Nobody's these guys are these guys are afghans in the middle of nowhere and god knows what they don't have and it was a simple thing that i missed and I realized after it. So what I learned from that was going overseas, um, and and remember, this was not made up. This actually happened in Afghanistan mm-hmm. prior. So it took me a while to figure that out. But once I realized it, I thought I used to do this all the time when I was a sergeant BSM for the gun battery. I used to wheel and deal with the Americans down in the states. You know, yep. there's a yep. certain.
0: Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's a decision making skill. Right? Is. that that is required when you're a leader you could i mean th- think of what other people might have done in that situation they could have got back in the vehicle and left left yeah or they could have just sat there and and not known what to do
1: and we were not the ones to draw on fire but we we initiated it by touching that gate yeah but i was being told i had to go through that gate
0: i like this uh, this this idea and this lesson of of the peer network because you know it's something that that i'm working with today and kind of both of my worlds but have you ever had a a challenge kind of building a network with a particular peer you know somebody who i don't know maybe you didn't get along with well or you know you're there's some difficulty in building that network with them
1: i can tell you of an instance where I was at our unit.
0: What about like other sergeant majors or or sergeants that you encountered and had difficulty basically building rapport with? Yeah, I had one really bad one. (laughs) Okay, I I want to hear
1: this. And I was the brigade sergeant major. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so young sergeant major, and this this RSM was really, really, he merited height. He was Mm -hmm. probably in the top two. So he was in line to take my job and i had no problem and my job is to find my successor so my job was to groom my top three rsms and to advise them every time i would get tickets for the canucks or get tickets or get a uh, a vacancy for an airborne course i would tell the rsms in the brigade i would say each unit gets x amount of tickets this rsm wouldn't even respond i would say um, I need uh, an answer to this. i get nil return, nil return. He's the biggest unit. He wouldn't give his soldiers anything. Wouldn't send me. And, wow. yeah. and, and what's going and, on? Yeah, and he Bizarre. just, he, he was very much, he was a very smart man. He was very good at articulating himself. He was trained in CIMIC. He was very yeah. good at what he did. But in my view, the man should have been uh, um, an officer, an administrative officer, uh, yeah. an operational officer. Yeah. This guy was not meant to be, uh, a sergeant major, but he was very, very smart. But his CO thought he was the greatest thing since sliced Slice yeah. bread. But all the other RSMs treated him like he was distant yeah, yeah. because he didn't have because. the trust or the rapport with them or yeah. to work with them. No, he. he uh, wasn't. They would say hi to him, but they—you could just see they you know—and they would all talk to yeah. me about him. So,
0: so you're trying to build. a uh, team. So I tried
1: to build, and I tried yeah. to, and I pulled him into my office and sat down with him, and I said, "Hey." We need to work through this problem. If you want my job, I said it's not about you uh, uh, sucking up to me. It's about you understanding my role in the brigade. My role is to network, and I have to not only network with all the RSMs in the brigade. I got to network with other division or with other brigades and the division sergeant yeah. major. If you can't communicate at the unit level with other units, how do you fit the criteria to become mm-hmm. a brigade sergeant major? Mm-hmm. You're thinking dated mindset. You're treating it like it's your empire, yeah. and it's not an empire.
0: Yeah,
1: get that out of your mind. Mm-hmm. So he's like, "Okay, got it, Rob. Everything." And then everything uh, it was done. I said, "You're not going to get this job until you understand that and you demonstrate it." Uh, we went to the merit board. Yeah, and his uh, his name came up in the top two. And how the merit board works at brigade level is they identify top third, middle third, bottom yep. third. Yeah. And yeah. I sat there, it was my first merit board, and the commander sits beside me and the deputy commander on my other side, and you got all the COs there. And we're going through the MWOs and how they work it is the bottom third are selected, that's easy. Push them aside, we're done. Middle third for PRs, yeah. Then we come down, we have to agree in the in the 14 units at the time, who are the top three? So they were up there, the top three. This guy was one of them. Mm-hmm. And what happens is these three COs have yeah. got their purse files and everything and their scores yeah. and everything. Yeah and they're haggling back and forth. My guy's first and normally, everybody always agrees who's second, who's third, but there's two COs, one guy bows out and Mm -hmm. says, okay, my guy can be second or third. These two COs are at a stalemate. They can't accept. They're both, my guy should get the job. And then all of a sudden, this is when the commander looks at me and says, okay, Sergeant Major, now it's your turn. Mm -hmm.
0: Break the tie.
1: And he said, so I stood up and they said, okay, I said, This guy is really, really good at what his his job is. They both are really good at what they do as RSMs. They both walk on water and they know how to run their units, I said. But there's one thing that's a key difference between the two of them. This individual doesn't communicate effectively Mm -hmm. at all. They're terrible at networking. I get constant feedback from all the Mm -hmm. RSMs about lack of communication, and every yeah. time I do everything I can to talk this individual, I get nothing. I get radio silence, or I get nil returns, or I get nothing. Yeah. I keep sending emails, and I get absolutely nothing. I yeah. phone call, I leave voicemail, I get nothing. So all of a sudden, they're like, okay, fine. And then uh, this colonel then uh, said to me that it was his RSM. He says, oh, well, I guess we understand. He said openly to the entire, all the whole brigade. Uh, and a lot of the I'll never forget it. All the COs uh, were sitting there and... So all the COs were there. All of, all, like, yeah, yeah, like every one of them. Like, so all, say, say, and
0: you as the brigade are. Saying, uh, yeah, all the, and,
1: and, and this yeah. CO says to me, well, now that we know that we have to tread uh, 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 lightly around your tea shop, Sergeant Major, we'll know <laughs> better. And I could see every CO look at me like... Because they knew me and they knew my yeah. personality and they were smiling like, oh, what's he going to say? And I said, Colonel, I'm going to make this very simple for you. I said, uh, I said, I have my clear marching orders from my boss here on my right and the area sergeant major at LFWA. Between the two of them, I'm pretty sure I know my terms of reference of what my job entails. Yeah. And just because you don't like the fact that your sergeant major isn't fitting the criteria doesn't mean anything. I don't take this job personally. I have a responsibility to this brigade. Yeah. And to all the men and women in this brigade to do my job. So he's like, okay, he let, he let that go. So then all of a sudden, everything was done. We left, and then uh, they had the officers afterwards. But the brigade commander pulled me into his office afterwards, and he, sent, uh, uh, he made a phone call to him and said, you will write a letter of apology to everybody at that merit board. You will write a personal wow. letter of apology to the yeah. brigade sergeant major. Yeah. And if he's not convinced that you're sincere... It's going as against a performance measurement in your yeah, PER. Yeah, yeah. He said, you insulted my brigade sergeant major in front of all the command teams in the brigade yeah. when he was simply doing his job. You challenged him, and by challenging him, you challenged me. Yeah. Um, so getting on with his sergeant major, this is where it came up. He started to say to the commander, well, I don't have good communication skills with his RSM, and it wasn't my, his RSM's fault. It was my fault. And I went, and then the commander said, Sergeant Major, can you prove that he's wrong in his statement? Because you know the way the world is now. They judge everything. Mm -hmm. I said, as a matter of fact, sir, I can. He says, okay. I said, give me about a half an hour. So what I did is I actually, when I was the RSM, I did it. When I was BSM, I did it. I learned it early. And luckily, I did it when I was Sergeant Major. I kept every single email. Mm -hmm. I kept every single file contributing to that individual. I brought in a stack of emails of nil returns, no thanks, not available, yeah. everything. And I put it in front of the commander. He looked at all of it. He said, thanks Sergeant Major. He says, that's all I need. No. Have a good day. And I left. And then what he did was he called that colonel and he said, let me be very clear and he told me what he said to him. He says, your, you have a direct line to me and your RSM answers only to you in a direct line. But there's a dotted line for all rsms to the brigade sergeant yeah. major yeah now let me be clear his per you're going to explain to him if he wants any chance at the job of brigade sergeant major he's going to bloody well communicate with this brigade sergeant major and he's going to understand he's got to listen and learn because it's not about him and it's not about you and he says let me be very clear you're going to write his pr and if that per doesn't reflect what the brigade sergeant major is saying. Not only am I gonna order you to change it, it's gonna affect your PER kernel. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. and it was dealt with after that. Yeah. And that person never got my job in the end.
0: Huh. But did they did they play better afterwards?
1: Oh, did they? Did they? Okay. Because it came down so to chain of command. It took that to it was change a per- their attitude. to change a performance measurement. It yeah. took command. Yeah. But yeah. again, my advice to people is, especially in today's world in 2023 keep your facts. Yeah. You need them now more yeah. than ever. Yeah, and, and, and I yeah. did it in a time when it wasn't like that.
0: Yeah, when our email storage was only 100 megabytes or something.
1: But I I yeah. didn't do it I didn't do it as a means to use against them. I mm-hmm. did it as a means to show that I was doing my due diligence. Yeah. And hoping if I was ever questioned I'd say, "Yeah, I did. Look what I did." Yeah. But it ended up being used as Th- their fault, they didn't do their I, part.
0: I mean, I, I think that's that's the lesson, that's the lesson that I take from that is, you know, if you have somebody who's being difficult like okay. that, you you still got to do your part. Absolutely. right. You can't hold a you grudge. You can't just turn them off. No, you can't just hold a grudge no. and, well, they never replied, so I'm not, yeah. I'm going to cut them out. Because then it comes <laughs> back on you. Yeah, exactly. And so, but you kept it up, right? You kept your due diligence, you kept trying to no fault of your own, and, and they they just chose not to not to play.
1: Yeah, and it came back on them in the long run. It's the same thing as when we do orders and people always assume in an orders group and early on, I learned this a long time ago, when you do orders, even as a BC um, and people throw things out there, I've already thought of all the things I need to do my job. So if you haven't covered what I need, I'm going to ask the questions. But there's a lot of people out there that figure orders are orders and you don't question anything. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. Mm because not only if you don't have all the information things are going to fall off the wayside and possibly things are it could be major yeah you've got to be able to use your initiative and your skills and your knowledge that you have up to what you've learned and not be afraid to ask questions because quite frankly a lot of these people and i've said to them i said there's a reason you're wearing that rank if you don't have questions why are you wearing that rank
0: yeah no i think especially in like a small army totally ours right totally yeah no well, this has been really, really good. Is that good for you? I can't thank you enough for, yeah. this, uh, for this time and opportunity. Yeah. I really enjoyed my time with Rob, and we could have gone on for much longer, so I hope to see him again soon. Afterwards, I was really struck by how important that pure networking is that he talked about and how good he was at it just by, by being consistent and, and sticking with his values. It's, it's something i'm working on myself right now too you know, overcoming differences with other people to to come together as a as a pure team also it was really refreshing to see that not all military leadership lessons are learned in combat so we don't have to relate everything to combat in military that's that's not really the defining style of leadership you know you hear you heard that most of his significant moments were just in training or in peacetime and that's a great lesson too, right? We can learn leadership anytime. This has been the Who's in Charge Podcast with me, Conway Huey. Be sure to visit the website conwayhuey.ca to find show notes and more boot me. Connect with me via the website or LinkedIn, and thanks again for listening. Remember to rate this on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your favorite podcast service.